Hello and welcome to today's BJ Hemonk podcast. We're a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. This podcast series will feature selected sessions from the 5th International Workshop on Acute Leukemias, which was held in San Diego, California. In this session, you will hear from Charles Craddock, David Salmon, Mark Levis and Nelly Bajenen, who discuss the most recent updates in transplantation and immunotherapies in AML. Hello, I'm uh, Charlie Craddock from Birmingham in the UK, and it's a real pleasure to be joined by uh, David Salmon from Moffitt in Florida, Mark Levis from John Hopkins, and Nelly Benjamin from Moffitt uh, as well. Uh, we've just had a really fantastic session covering some broad uh, areas around how we uh, think about improving outcomes in patients with AML. Uh, through distinct and varied uh, immunotherapeutic strategies, including transplant. Uh, and David, I want to just start with you, really, to give us a state of the art with where we are on CAR T cell development in AML. It's an area of active interest at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think at this at this wonderful conference, I think we've heard a lot about exciting breakthroughs, you know, throughout. But unfortunately. A majority of patients are still ultimately relapsing and really having a novel cellular therapy like we have in other hematologic malignancies, I think is really paramount you know, to all of us. I think we're still in our infancy stages. I think there are you know, several targets, the three main ones right now being CD33, CD123, CLL1, that are starting to move you know, farther along in clinical trial. And finally, some of them are actually to expansion to where we can really see what the efficacy signal is, both with and potentially without you know, salvage you know, transplant, second transplant, you know, DLI. So we are seeing responses. I think the challenge is the response rates have been low. The durability has not been great. And so the big questions is why? Is this, are we treating the wrong patients at the wrong time? So are these patients that are too heavily relapsed refractory, T cell fitness that's significantly impaired? Or is this a target issue where we know that unfortunately there's a ton of heterogeneity and are we really missing a majority or a significant proportion of blasts? And I think those are the, the big questions. I think we are seeing anecdotal great responses. I do think you know moving the field forward is gonna be out of the box approaches. So I do think compound cars with or gating strategies where again, they will activate with seeing multiple different antigens is probably gonna be the key going forward. I think with that consideration, there may be increased toxicity, especially myelosuppression. Um, and so I do think thinking about that in tandem, designing early trials, maybe in CR1, MRD positive disease and getting them to transplant in the best optimal remission is where we're going. But again, I think this is going to take us actually years and not months to really potentially move that field forward. But again, optimism is, is always important. Mark, some general observations, maybe about the patient population that we should be thinking of who are most eligible for this approach. Uh, well, again, I've harped on perhaps not using the TP53 complex karyotype mm -hmm. crowd or carving that out distinctly because I think we lose a lot of therapies when we, I, I think they're two different diseases and often our benefits are on the margins and uh, the addition of a population that is so dramatically different. Mm -hmm. uh, so if we have to think differently about the disease, uh, but then uh, it, I think it becomes easier uh, if we get an agreement to do that. I, I, this is my, I'm convinced this is what's weighing down a lot of trials right now is that population 
as, as sorry as we are for them, we've got to carve them out of the field. Yeah, I think, I think relevant to that, the challenge biologically, they're a hyperproliferative, non-increased blast patient that you have potentially time, but then a, a lot of these patients are getting into the early you know, CAR-T studies they're and is that negatively around, impacting? Yes, exactly. So that, I think that's a huge, uh, yeah. important consideration, so. Uh, David, you published on the immunosuppressive uh, my, bone marrow microenvironment in P53 mutated. I mean, to, to what extent do you think there are host issues here, either around T cell numbers or fitness, or possibly yeah. an immunosuppressive microenvironment that might abrogate an effective CAR T? Yeah, I mean, I think that it speaks again to Mark's point, and then you know, why are these patients not responding? And I'm not aware of any P53 mutant patient that has responded to any cellular therapy again outside of something that was uh, you know immediately to, to transplant. So we do know the immune microenvironment is dramatically different. It's a very exhausted, energic phenotype, potentially inflammatory um, at the same time. And the, the, the scary part, and this is some data out of, of MD Anderson, where they did single cell um, cytokine profiling, looking at polyfunctionality of T cells. And even in P53 patients, before they ever got therapy, there's really this profound uh, dysfunction. So I do think for P53, I'd be much more thinking about an allergen egg type product because of this impaired T cell. And the, but then even with that, I think we need to think about, you know, potentially some of the direct immunosuppressive mechanisms of the malignant st stem cells in that population. So it's going to have to be an out-of-the-box approach, probably an allogeneic approach. But again, I think carving it out and thinking about a very specific platform for that group. And again, the bar is low. So I think if we had a signal there and we could see deepening of remission, which again, several of us have shown trans, you know, translating to ultimately improved outcomes of transplant may be a key consideration. And I think FDA was open to potentially yeah. carving it out. Yeah. And then just switching gears, Mark, you, you, you know, your work's been pivotal in establishing pre-transplant MRD as a prognostic indicator in patients who proceed to transplant. And I think it was identified at the meeting, you know, that one of the really hot questions that is out there at the moment is, is it possible to ask a question as to whether targeting pre-transplant MRD might be a route to reducing relapse post-transplant, improving transplant outcome. It's quite a challenging area to develop clinical yeah. trials, and I think there aren't any at the moment. So some general comments. So first, there's sort of two sides of the MRD issue. Uh, the regulators brought up, no, we want this thing standardized. In all our minds, we believe it, okay? We believe we've designed an assay that easily can be standardized. So we actually have two. We have NPM1 and FLT3 that are kits that are reproducible. They're going to get the same result anywhere on the world with basically following the recipe. That's a huge tool. We want to validate, the. we validated NPM1. We're probably going to succeed in validating uh, FLT3 ITD, but as you say, what do we do with that now? Can we eradicate it and, and how so? And so that elicited, as you know, quite a lot of passion uh, and uh, ideas being flung out. I, I still do like the concepts that were brought up uh, focusing on the uh, less intensively treated patients, those are the patients that are going to have higher levels of MRD. NPM1 mutant patients do really well regardless, and so that's a tough population to, to improve upon. But the older patient, not so much. We know this. We're using Azeven. We're very pleased with ourselves, but still not. Uh, we have far to go. And that's the population I think we should be saying, you're MRD positive with either NPM1 or FLT3. We're going to use a menin FLT3 inhibitor or a menin inhibitor or something else, randomize at the start. 
because those patients going to transplant, if you do intention to treat at randomization, you will lose some of those patients. I think that has the potential to get us an answer and maybe a, use MRD to benefit patients come up with a new therapy. And Nelly, you're a cold face transplanter. Any comments about how you might uh, design such a study or what do you think might be targets? Um, some of the studies can be designed actually to use intervention in a context of allogeneic transplantation. Either that would be um, optimizing further the conditioning regimen, and that can be additional drugs or cellular therapy approaches incorporated there, or doing something consolidative of allogeneic transplantation. I believe more in uh, cellular therapy. I'm a transplanter, but because I know that AML most of the time can be cured with cellular the therapy in standard being allogeneic transplantation. If we can learn more about subset of cells that can benefit patients in terms of enhancing further the GVL effect without compromising uh, their outcomes in terms of increasing GVHD, that would be type of a strategy I personally would look for in the context of allogeneic transplantation. So let's just talk a little bit more then about DLI, because you know we know this is a really, uh, it, it's pretty well tolerated if you get your dosing schedule right. Um, and it, we, we all know that it can be highly effective in patients with, uh, who are MRD positive or cytogenetic relapse. And before I came, David, we had a lady with cytogenetic relapse, P53 mutated mm -hmm. MDS, who just has had the most fantastic response to DLI. And then, of course, we have other people stacking up who don't. So the, the, the challenge, I guess, Nelly, and perhaps you could give some thoughts on this, is how do we optimally employ cellular therapy post-transplant? What are, the, what are the exciting areas? Correct, I'm more than happy to comment on that. Uh, in regards to a conventional donor lymphocyte infusion, obviously there have been concerns there in terms of increasing risk of graft versus host disease. In some studies, it's up to 40% or 50% of the patients developing acute or chronic graft versus host disease that definitely increases the morbidity and affects quality of life of the patients as well. However, though, in high-risk setting, not only in prophylactic, but also preemptive, at least retrospective number of studies from different institutions and registry data are supporting use of donor lymphocyte infusion post-transplant. We need to still learn more about the uh, dosing schedule and the frequency um, of that and who are the patients who benefit more with that strategy um, uh, is that the patients who are intermediate risk uh, disease patients or dis adverse risk disease patients benefit as well. We don't know the answer for that because of the limitation of heterogeneity of what is being reported so far. But also there we can further look into strategies that are um, not just um, Un, uh, conventional DLI uh, with lots of various cells, including alpha-beta T cells that are associated with higher risk of GVHD, like our group specifically is exploring of uh, doing uh, donor lymphocyte infusion focused on gamma-delta T cells. So freshly collected from the um, allogeneic donor, the same donor that uh, patients receive stem cells from. And then we are infusing for purpose of reducing the risk of relapse in adverse risk uh, group of patients uh, by ELN classification. 
and hoping that strategy uh, will be effective, but yet need to be determined. We are currently looking into safety data of that. And most importantly, why gamma delta T cells? Because they have MHC independent cytotoxic activity against AML, but more so they don't cause graft versus host disease. So we can give more products and higher numbers as far as we can successfully expand the Once you've established safety and you've got your dosing schedule right, tell us what the randomized study might look like. The randomized study should be basically exploring this um, approach using its consolidative, basically expanded gamma delta T cell infusion after allogeneic transplantation. And the standard needs to be standard allogeneic transplant without plant intervention per se. And in this context, uh, give a shout out to my colleague in the UK, uh, Dr. Victoria Potter at King's, who has randomized, uh, I think it's 160 patients to a study called ProDLI, which is actually looking at prophylactic DLI patients transplanted for high-risk AML in CR1. And it involves rapid taper of immunosuppression and prophylactic use of DLI against a, a more controlled approach. And I hope that study is going to be reporting next year. And what's the, the MRD monitoring in, in that study? Yeah, no, the meticulous MRD monitoring if there's a molecular marker mm -hmm. or, or, or with flow. And then finally, perhaps, Mark, if I could just turn back to you. You presented uh, a bit of an update on some of the morpho data, which you showed at EHA, and you reflected perhaps on two or three uh, lessons that might have been learned or some more general observations. Perhaps you could close with those thoughts. Uh, <laughs> sure. Um, it always comes down to ASLs now. In fact, it's a very simple answer. You asked how would we have designed the trial differently? We would have said only give ASLs as indicated because it's, uh, this is a theme emerging with gilteritinib and quizortinib. They have ASLs, Moldac of ASLs have their uses, but uh, you've got to use them judiciously with these drugs. You will get significant myelosuppression and toxicity and completely counter any benefit uh, if you use them indiscriminately. And so uh, I think the, the lesson from morpho broadly is twofold. Give, give uh, post-transplant gilteritinib to patients who are MRD positive and use azoles judiciously and uh, things can work out just fine. Great. And we are looking forward to updated data sets. Uh, thank, you, thank you all three, that was a great discussion. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Himonk and subscribe to VJ Himonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time.